Welcome everybody to episode 36 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. As I am putting together this introduction, we are in the new year and I wish all the listeners a happy new year and a safe 2020. As always, I'd like to sincerely thank all the interviewees, listeners and the soccer public of the Illawarra slash Australia. This episode's interviewee, although not originally from the Illawarra, has entrenched himself as part of the Illawarra footballing community over the past 30 years. Richard Lloyd developed his passion for football early on in his life, playing junior football with Padstow Heights and Catherine Fields, supported by his parents. In this junior period, he began being selected in representative teams which augmented his development. Noting in this time, Richard had interaction with the Johnny Warren Soccer Academy and the Pelé Soccer Camps, which added to his enthusiasm. At the age of 17, Richard had a vocational decision to make, and this brought him to the Illawarra with State League Club Ferry Meadow Italia. From this point in time, he has stayed in the Illawarra, and in the late 1980s, he was signed up by the Wollongong City Wolves in the NSL. He played at the Wolves for several NSL seasons, amassing 164 appearances, forming a lot of positive relationships, gaining the respect of his coaches, teammates, opponents and the supporters. After the Wolves, Richard played successfully in the New South Wales State League and the Illawarra Premier League. Once his playing career ended, Richard started his coaching career initially with his family at Bowgownie Junior Soccer Club and then on to other projects and clubs. What is clear with Richard's coaching career is that he is positive and has a player-centric focus. And amongst his words about players, coaching and the Wollongong Wolves, it is clear Richard has an unyielding passion for the game and wants the best for the football people of the Illawarra. I absolutely enjoyed interviewing Richard, and he is a measured and valuable football asset for the region. My sincere respect and appreciation go out to Richard and his family for allowing me into their home and giving me the time to speak with him. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed interviewing Richard. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in the leafy surrounds of Ferry Meadow and I'm here with my special guest Richard Lloyd. Richard, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Trav. It's great to be here. It's, um, I guess, two uh, distinct chapters we're going to talk about with yourself. Um, there's a large playing career but there's also a large coaching career. Let's start at the beginning and uh, what were your first memories of soccer? First memories of soccer were playing for uh, Padstow Heights football club and I was put in the position of right fullback and uh, we played on a full field back then as, as under fives and sixes and uh, my memory was that I did build the best sandcastle on the edge of the 18-yard <laughs> box that year and uh, I think I was duly rewarded with that, that award, yeah, <laughs> first memory. And so uh, this is uh, um, to put a bit of context to um, the date, you, you were born in 69 so we're talking sort of mid-70s here, 74, 75? 74, 75, that's right. And um, 
from there you then uh, went to Catherine Fields FC? Yeah, so mum and dad moved from uh, Padstow, which is suburbia, yep. out to a place called Leppington, which yep. was um, five acres and further out. Oh, a heap of room to run around. And, <laughs> and the first thing my dad built was a, a soccer goal with a net on it oh, wow. and, and laid down 15 soccer balls. And, and I was set, you know, every afternoon I was out there playing in the backyard. Uh, mum would have to call me in for dinner, would have to call me in for lunch. <laughs> breakfast everything I was out there taking free kicks left right foot you name it so dad played a big role in me um, <laughs> falling in love with the game but uh, yeah the facility we had out there was phenomenal and then I guess that translated into you uh, at Catherine Fields uh, developing more as a junior footballer yeah so at Catherine Fields um, I believe dad and a few mates were the, the instigators of you know, setting up the club and getting things yep. going as, as parents do. And yep. um, yeah, we went through back then, we it was competitive from a young age. And um, we won fourth division, we won third division, we won second division, we got our uh, first division and won that uh, in consecutive years. And then a um, sort of representative pathway started to form around yep. that time. And um, there were clubs like um, King Thomas Love, who were the feeder club to, to Sydney Croatia back in the day. Yep. And uh, a few of their coaching staff would scout players and <clears throat> a few of us from Catherine Fields were scouted to that team. And um, we went through to Champions of Champions, knocked out by Nepean in the end, who had quite a few Blacktown City players yeah. in it and, and were sort of our rivals. And then um, Southern Districts was up and running and it was um, probably what you'd call similar to what the Wolves are at the yeah. moment, okay, like in the MPL one. And that was a representative pathway back in the day and uh, I went along that um, for quite some time and thoroughly enjoyed playing my football. So uh, during this time at Catherine Fields and, and like you said with uh, King Tomislav and, and Southern Districts, uh, you obviously then developed as a football in terms of gaining representation but obviously you had a passion as well for the game? Oh, I had a massive passion for the game. I still remember Dad waking me up in the, the wee hours to watch Tottenham in the FA Cup. They seemed to be specialists back then. <laughs> and uh, Ozzy Ardiles and Ricky Villa were playing for them. I think Alan Brazil was up top as well for some stage there. But just waking up and, you know, wide-eyed at this game that was played. And it was, you know, beamed in the lounge room from way across the country and uh, across the world. And uh, that just, yeah, lit a fuse. When I was 13, there, there was a fuse lit by one of our famous local um, footballers, perhaps the, arguably our greatest soccer captain, uh, Johnny Warren. Yep. Back in the day, Johnny um, used to pay for two players to go to the Pelé soccer camp in America. Okay. Yep. And um, at the age of 12, my father's boss at, at work would send home the newspaper clippings to me because he knew that I was probably one of the only kids that loved football because they were all into other sports and uh, I remember filling in those forms religiously you know had hundreds of them in anyway as it would happen I got drawn out and was one of the 50 winners to go to the Johnny Warren camp in um, in Fairfield and little did I know from those 50 players two were chosen to go to America to the Pelé soccer camp and as the week went on, I had Ron Corrie as my coach. Yeah. Um, Ron was obviously a, a Wolves coach back in the, um, the 2000 grand final win. He was with Nick anyway. Yeah. But yeah, Ronnie was my coach there. And um, yeah, he, he picked me out to be the player that, that went. And I still remember that phone call. 
you know, Johnny Warren rang my, my folks up and mum and dad came out and said, oh, there's someone special on the phone for you here, Richard. Extraordinary. And Johnny said, Richard, I'd like you, you know, to know that you won this trip to America and would you like to go? And I said, oh, can I just ask my mum and dad? <laughs> so I politely asked mum and dad and then um, we went on this two-week trip to America where I got to meet the great, arguably the greatest player in the world and, and spend a week being taught by him, which was fantastic. And so did Johnny Warren go on that trip as well? Johnny usually would go on the trip, but yep. he um, had Ray, Ray Richards yep. as our chaperone and a guy named Paul Mullins, who was a, a socceroo. So yep. those two chaps took um, Jason Aird from Newcastle. Yep. I'm still good mates with him on, on Facebook and whatnot. And we, we bounce photos back to each <laughs> other and whatnot. But yeah, he took us over there for this trip of a lifetime and there was a little bit of spending money involved and yeah, it was a great experience. And, and, and in terms of meeting Pelé? Yeah, well, Dad also told me, he said, mate, they're probably going to take a photo over there. Make sure you get next to Pelé in that team photo. <laughs> and sure enough, um, when the photographers turned up, I was standing right next to Pelé and <laughs> made sure I got that photo next to him. And yeah, I still have that photo today and cherish it. And reflecting on um, your time now in the game as we do this interview, do you think that really solidified the love of the game and, and then that sort of desire to, to keep playing and keep doing whatever you could do? Oh, definitely. Watching the games, you know, the Tottenham games and seeing it on TV was one thing, but then meeting, mm. you know, arguably at the time, the greatest player in the world and standing next to him and looking up at him and just going, wow, how did I get here? <laughs> that, um, yeah, certainly lit a fuse and, and got me hooked. <laughs> you then, um, before we move on, is... is um you know, you moved from Southern Districts to Melita Eagles, but in that junior um, time there, were there sort of some coaches um, that still ring out in your mind that you can remember or players and, and maybe some of the things that they taught you? Yeah, I got to play with um, quite a few players who end up playing National League. Tony Krizovic was one guy who played for Sydney United. Um, and as we grew up and were in separate teams, I ended up marking him for quite a few games when we did get to play against him. Um, he was of a, a Mark Viduka type yep. build. And um, as everyone knows, Mark Viduka <laughs> was probably one of the hardest guys to mark. Um, Tony was in a similar vein. Um, I think a few injuries um, didn't pan out for, for Tony to go further in that. Um, I played with um, Paul Ocon's brother, Klaus yep. Ocon, who was arguably um, as good a player as Polo was. And, um, yeah, he played in the midfield with me and we had quite a good combination going in those junior years. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, from an early age, I had my father as, as the, the coach of our team. Yep. Um, he did take us through into that representative scene as well. He... Um, he had a passion for coaching and, and he moved from coaching us in that sort of Southern District set up into um, like New South Wales teams. And I think he holds a record of six or seven titles with New South Wales teams, having coached Mark Swartzer and Tony Popovich um, throughout their careers and, and still remains in contact with Mark. And uh, it's one of the highlights of his, his coaching career. But yeah, had a passionate father who who loved the game as well and, and guided me the right way in those sort of um, golden years of learning. And even though we'll talk about it later on, because there's a bit to talk about with your playing career, do you think um, that instilled in you a, a passion for coaching that you would take up later on? Yeah, definitely. When I look back on it, it was always a player-centred approach from those, those coaches I had in the younger years, particularly Dad, 
he always focused on on the individual players and and how we could inspire them to be better and um, you know a lot of my philosophy is is bound in that player-centered approach how can we inspire them to be better than what they are um, but yeah from an early age that was sort of instilled in me and, and I like that way so what um, transpired there you were you're playing uh, at Melita Eagles and sort of it looked like that ascendancy was towards the the National League and we're talking sort of I guess the mid 80s there um, what sort of transpired that you then uh, moved down to the Illawarra so what happened was uh, you get to that year 12 age and um, you know you've got decisions to make and I started a job as an accountant yep. had a full-time job things were going quite well and then um, I got into Wollongong Uni to become a primary teacher okay. and mum was a teacher and dad ended up at a, as a TAFE teacher Yep. And mum said, you got some serious thinking to do here because, you know, football's <clears throat> a great dream to have, yep. but is that something that's going to, you know, keep you going all your life? You might need something as a backup. Yeah, definitely. And then um, sort of went, yeah, the idea of going to uni was a pretty good one. And um, I threw the job in as an accountant and moved down here to Wollongong University and um, started my life down here and haven't left. <laughs> so uh, when you're... Uh I guess coming to the University of Wollongong there, uh, how did it come about that Ferry Meadow was the club that you then uh, joined? So uh, my father also was involved in greyhounds okay. and uh, used to race greyhounds at all the tracks down here, Bulleye, down at the famous Dapto okay. Dogs and um, he'd always come up against, Dad knew everyone, he just had a knack for remembering names and stories and whatnot. and um, one of the guys that he, he met up with was um, the famous Larry Gaffney okay. and Dad um, had met Larry and, and when I came down to uni he, he gave me Larry's number and I gave him a call at Ferry Meadow and um, Larry didn't know much about me and I still remember up at the old Ian McClellan Park yep. Um, Larry was having trials there and back in the day there were three grades and I turned up for the, um, I think it might have been under 18s was the, the sort yep. of third grade and I turned up and I'd put two in the net in the first 10 minutes and he took me off and said we'll start you in reserve grade and um, started reserve grade and put one in the first 10 minutes and he took me off that and said you're sitting on the bench for first grade son and um, from that point on I was involved in, in first grade football with um, the mighty Ferry Meadow. And, and Ferry Meadow, and it, there might have been a name change in there. Had gone from I think Ferry Meadow United to Ferry Meadow Italia. Um, they were in the state league at that point in time. Yeah, they yeah. were in the state league. Yeah. And 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 what was um, I guess you know you're at uni, so it's I guess a change from being at home. Um, you're down here, and then you're playing state league. So uh, how did that feel? Yeah. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have parents that um, you know backed me in moving down here. Um, at 17 and a half, moving away from yeah. home was was a big thing, and and mum and dad both backed me and, and trusted me and gave me had given me a lot of tools to to help me by. And um, yeah, but moving out of home was fantastic, um, and meeting all these people in the first couple of years of senior football, um, you know, I still hang out with those people now and they still talk about the stories of what we used to get up to. Um, I still remember Mr Cario, um, yep. Rob's dad, 
He's um, one of the first guys I got to do a bit of work with, yeah. um, Bricky's Labour and with him. And, um, you know, we still chat about that now. And he introduced me to the fraternity club. And um, as, a, as a 17 and a half, 18-year-old walking in there, and I was a wee bit skinnier than I am now. And, you know, the, the older ladies who used to run the cafeteria down there, they'd look <laughs> at me and go, oh, this boy needs a feed. <laughs> So I always got second helpings whenever I went in there for lunch or, or dinner. So, yeah, from that early stage, uh, some good relationships forged. And, um, yeah, I've got fond memories from many people. And so that first year, you uh, uh, were you sort of in and out of first grade under Larry? Yeah, in and out of first grade. Um, obviously playing with quite a few of the older guys from our yep. area um, and learning from them. Yep. Um, I still remember my, my debut in the State League with Larry. Yep. He... Um, he had me on the bench and um, he said, go warm up, you're going on. And uh, mum and dad come down to watch this day and in typical Larry, you know, everyone that knows Larry, he does some crazy things and, um, yeah, he put me on and within three minutes he took me off. And I said, Gavs, what's going on? He said, I'm so sorry, I put the wrong guy on. And uh, I still have a laugh about that. So, yeah, my debut lasted three minutes. Um, Larry put the wrong guy on and uh, took me back off and... I had to wait another couple of weeks before I got the, the start. And at Ferry Meadow, were they at PCYC at that point in yeah, time? Yeah, at the PCYC, there? yeah. In regards to um, your, f- your first year there, who were some of the players that you were playing with in first grade and reserve grade? Well, the first guy that I actually um, met up with was John Danzo. Okay. And um, John Danzo, obviously people would have heard about him back in the day. He, yep. he was an unbelievable striker. And he was there at Ferry Meadow with me and uh, still remember going down to Herb Clunas an hour before training and John and I would put in the extras. Um, once again, these lovely parents would take us back and there'd be chicken nuggets and, and lots of food on the on the table to feed the boys. But yeah, John John was the one that I bonded with yeah, pretty well at that stage and uh, we helped each other out and yeah, played quite a few games together. We had... Um, in uh, the defence, we had a guy named Darren Mears, yep. Scotty's yep. um, brother. Yeah, he played at the back and was um, sort of a linchpin of, of that team. Um, but yeah, good days back at Herb Clunas there and um, the PCYC club. And um, we, we did well. We did well. We got through. Larry Berenger was another guy. Yep. Yeah, Larry learned a lot from Larry. And um, obviously, Gaff's, Larry Gaffney still played back then. Yep. And. Um, we had we had a moment there where we could have won the league, and I remember going out to um, Bathurst seventy five, and we had to, to win this particular game. And um, Larry was nervous as because a lot of the Italians had travelled out there, yeah. the supporters, and to watch this particular game. And Larry put himself on at the back, and there was one little mistake, and they they scored in the first minute. Gaffs had just missed this ball and, and we're down one nil and we just kept peppering the goal and just wouldn't go in for 90 minutes and we lost that game and subsequently lost um, our chance to win the league, which is unfortunate. And uh, do you think that played a part in um, him moving on at the end of that year because I think then Glenn Fontana took over in 88? Yeah, I, I believe so, yeah. Yep. yeah. And so you, you uh, stayed at the club? Um, in those next couple of years yep. and so did you predominantly then play first grade under Glenn Fontana? Played first grade with Glenn. Glenn was, um, played a significant role in getting me a trial with John Fleming at the Wolves yep. and um, I still remember that first trial. There were <coughs> guys like Minio Bonatig were down there, some of the young guys coming through and um, the pre-season I did with them I absolutely brained it 
in all our runs and tests and things yep. like that with phlegm and I thought oh, I'm a chance here and um, you know I was absolutely gutted John you know to his credit come up face to face and, and told me mate you need to go back and have another year with the men yep. and you know when when you're rejected and you've just done yeah. really well it's a hard it's hard, hard to, pill to hard swallow to you know and I, at the time I remember oh, how dare he do that he doesn't know what he's doing and um, you know when I reflected back on that it was like an absolutely brilliant move that that Flem had done you know and I still bump into John now and have great respect for the man because because what he did there set me up you know what I mean if he'd taken me and pretended I was right yep I probably wouldn't have played as many games as I did but he he said to me his, his experience said go back and play against the men toughen up which I did yep. and um, obviously John and Glenn talked about that yep. and um, yeah Glenn toughened me up and I went back the next year and Dave Ratcliffe, I think, was there that year and, yeah. and absolutely brained it again and was, was strong enough to compete with men at that level. And um, that turned out to be one of the most significant parts of my sort of playing career. With, uh, with regards to Glenn Fontana, uh, you know, the name synonymous in the Illawarra, um, how was he as a, as a coach? Because he had, um, you know, he was there for a couple of years at Ferry Meadow and, and has done a lot of development work as well. Um, how did you find him as a senior yeah, coach? Yeah, in those first years that I had Glenn there, he was obviously pushing for young players. Um, so, yeah, from, from the outset there, he, he had a focus on pushing those young players higher. Obviously, you know, as a coach, you, you love to win titles as well. So, obviously, he's trying to balance that with, yep. with winning as well. But, um, yeah, in those early stages, have to take Matt off to him because he and, he and Flem did a good job in that year in getting me right. To, to progress further into that NSL level. And, and, and in regards to some of the other players that you played with, you know, the likes of Beringer, um, Tony Corradini, Gary Hatton, um, Cario, Galway, um, Peter Willis was even there in uh, one of those seasons. Uh, how did you find those guys? Yeah, those guys are fantastic. Um, Peter Willis probably stuck in my mind the most. Um, yep. You know, m most people know Pete now. He's he's the ultimate professional. Um, yep. I still believe he, he coaches with his boots on and still <laughs> polishes them pre-game and things like that. So being a, an ex-pro from overseas, he taught us young guys a hell of a lot and um, just being disciplined and, yep. you know, knowing the right time to... To, to lay off a little bit and have some fun yep. but also the times where you've got to hey knuckle down and, and let's get on with this so yeah I learned a lot from Pete and still hold him as a dear friend today and not only got to play with him back then got to be coached by him yep. you know mentored coaching wise um, also got to play amateur league with him for Harp Olympic and yeah we went through and won that title with some great players but yeah no, Pete, Pete's up there in high regard in my books so um Clearly, uh, as you've talked about, you had two trials there in the, that late 80s um, to try and get break into the NSL. So that was always an ambition of yours to try yourself and get into that top tier of, of the National League? Yeah, always trying to sort of push push what you can do. Yep. Um, you know, when I first came down from Melita, Melita were in that NSL era as well, or pushing for it. And um, I've always had, you know, instilled in me from Dad be your best, be your best, can you be better? Yep. How can you improve that? And, um, yeah, getting the chance with Glenn at um, Ferry Meadow and then having John Fleming cast his eye over me early on. Yep. And um, then Dave Ratcliffe came along, who obviously a former Socceroo. 
Yeah. Um, then the chance to impress on him, you know, what I could do, and uh, it was it was a good stepping stone. With um, with your, your I guess your playing position at Ferry Meadow, were you predominantly in the midfield, or sometimes I read a couple of reports you were playing up front at times. Where was your sort of set position? Yeah, my, the unfortunate thing for me was that I, whatever position the coach put me in, I was able to adapt to it really quickly. I yep. just had a knack of knowing what job had to be done in that position. Yep. I mean, I would have liked to go a goalkeeper too, but. <laughs> to be honest, I don't think I would have been too good at that. But, but anywhere they put me, I was able to rise to the occasion, which is good because you're always part of the squad. But it was quite easy for, you know, if I played up front and scored a goal and then the, the leading striker came back from injury, be I'd be moved and gone, you know, we'll put him in. So it was good on one hand because I got plenty of, um, plenty of opportunity to play. Um, from the bench and you know different positions but you were never able to solidify a specialist type of role so yeah so when you you go down for that second chance at the wolves and and david ratcliffe's there um are you, are you trialing you know you do these different tests you know running and, and playing trial games i guess and doing different skills where you sort of said at that point oh, we're signing you up as a defender as a midfielder or, or what were you sort of so back then we played with you might remember playing with a sweeper yeah yeah so that was probably a role where i was really adapted well to and um because i could fairly tall and strong in the air i could defend if it needed to be one one v one but then also i was really comfortable on the ball my passing was pretty good so from that position most you know with, with due respect most of the defenders at the time were out out defenders and passing wise it was probably a a minimal requirement get the ball yep. just give it to the next guy but yeah I was able to, to mix up my passes and set things up and whatnot so probably that sweeper role was the one that got me started yep. in that and that um, I guess period of time at the Wolves was a bit of a transition as well because John Fleming had sort of just finished his tenure there David Ratcliffe had, had sort of taken over so there was some I guess some guys from maybe the previous squad and then you know, David Ratcliffe is sort of bringing his own, I guess, interpretation of who he wanted in. And so you had the likes of Skeen, Cranny, Bonatigue, Melando, Lestra around about. So what do you remember of some of those players early on? Oh, I remember, remember training with um, our good friend Ray Valestra. He's a great guy, Ray. And um, obviously from uh, the defensive stock, I still remember the, uh, the Brandon Park training ground, which is over near Campus East. Yep. And, um, you know, we used to train over there. I remember quite a few balls from the defenders used to go skyrocketing over the bar and <laughs> over the fence and the university students behind would be there gathering up the balls <laughs> and running off with them. But, um, yeah, some, some fond memories there. I, I was with Jock Melando last week and we we're, were reminiscing about some of the, uh, the fun times we used to have and, and some of the tackles that used to go in. And, um, you know, playing at the back, you had to be a fairly, you know, you prided yourself on being a tough defender yeah. and um, Jock was up there with, with some of the best tackles I've seen in, in my lifetime and uh, he, he passed those skills on to me. <laughs> and, and what about um, yourself? How did you find the, the transition from State League to NSL and, and I guess uh, sort of becoming a, a team member and learning your teammates but also fighting for a position? Yeah, that's a hard one. David Skeen was um, was an, an absolutely top mentor with that. I still remember at training, um, 
I was sort of pushing for a, a spot in the team and um, it was David's spot and I still remember it training all that week. He's absolutely nailed me and I'm only fresh to the team. He's nailed me ball and all and, you know, it hurt. But I jumped straight up and I got back on with the game and then the next time there was an opportunity for me to tackle David, I remember I just threw myself at it and absolutely nailed him. And I thought, here we go, it's going to be on here. But to his credit, he picked me up and he said, I'll have you in my team any day. You know what I mean? You've got some character about you. Good to see you. You know, you take it on the chin and you give what you get. So that was a really good introduction. And, you know, I've always thanked David for that. And I had good mentors around me teaching me a lot of good things, which was fantastic. And uh, what about your your debut in in the NSL? Do you recall it? Oh, I don't remember the actual first game. No, no. I, I remember the excitement of um, you know turning up to a game with TV cameras. Yep. Um, I remember a story you know from Glenn Fontana back at Ferry Meadow days telling us about the days of playing in yep. in the NSL and you know how they used to say right when we score let's run to the camera and let's you know <laughs> give it all when we get together. And um, Glenn tells a story about. Don't forget to go to the right corner, but so Glenn's taken off to the left-hand corner to celebrate. His teammates have gone to the right, and the camera was over at the right, and Glenn had scored the goal and missed the opportunity to celebrate. So once again, good information being passed on from the older players. Um, you know, and there's man of the match awards after the game and things like that, where you know prizes are on offer and things like that. And you get the uh, legendary Phil Murphy coming down into yep. the dressing room, and he'd pick his player that he thought played quite well and you'd get to go and have a, an interview with Phil, Phil and that was yeah that was a highlight to be interviewed by by the legend Mr Murphy so uh in that first season you did get some games in got some games in with Dave yeah he yeah. um I don't know whether it was um budgetary wise or, or whatnot it was a very thin squad yep and um obviously there's a lot of um, youth players that would have to come up as well um the camaraderie between the first grade and youth was fairly good Yep. Youth players would train once a week with the older guys and get a bit of a feel for that. And I feel <clears throat> more of that needs to happen to sort of teach the younger players, have the older guys you know, impart what they know. Um, I don't know these days if that happens enough. Yep. Right? Maybe because it is very, fairly competitive and um, more younger players are getting a bit of a sniff. I'm, yep. yeah, it's a fine balance, I suppose. And... What about um, David Ratcliffe himself? Because you then had a few seasons with him there. Um, how did you find him as a coach and, and how did he, uh, what was his coaching style like? Yeah, so Dave obviously was um, straight out of, uh, or you're still playing at the start there when we, um, the yeah. first couple of years. So he was still fresh from playing, player manager, that's a tough role yeah. um, when you're trying to keep an eye on, on things whilst you're still on the pitch. Then when he did move to the bench, I think that took a lot of pressure off him as in giving him a better perspective of what was going on. Um, and Once again, he played his role in keeping the club going. Um, there's a lot of coaches and, and officials that have been involved with the Wolves over the years that have played their role in keeping it going. They may not have won the titles and things like that, but they have kept it going and, and that platform for young people, to players to come through and perform has been um, upheld, which is... You know, at the end of the day, it's a great um, asset to have in our community to play at the highest level and have young people aspire to that. And so Dave played his role in that, taught us quite a few things as well. I still remember when he was a socceroo, um, he'd always turn up and his boots were just black. 
Okay, I'm going, Dave, you got these Puma Kings, they're a beautiful boot. Well, why don't you have the, the white stripe still yeah. going up the side? He said, no, nah, if they want me to wear them, they can sponsor me. So he used to colour in the um, <laughs> the white stripe with black paint and until they sponsored him, he wasn't going <laughs> to advertise for them. Quite an interesting chap. And I still bump into him now. He's still playing. Oh, wow. Yeah, still playing amateur league. I saw him up at Rockdale's ground last year. Yep. And um, the trademark bowed legs were, were yeah. still running around the back. And um, whilst a little slower, um, still as competitive as ever. And um, when he came off the pitch, we had a great old chat. Yeah, so it's good to see him still involved. And like you said, there was, a, it was you know, some of those uh, times in the NSL were tough for for clubs like Wollongong. So it was good to just be in there and have that avenue. So those... I guess first three seasons that you're involved were, um, or first couple were, were sort of at the bottom end, but there was a, a couple of years there, a sort of 91, 92, 92, 93, where um, you were fifth and fourth and, and, and made the final series. So um, can you speak a bit about those sort of seasons? Yeah, I still, I still remember the, um, the year that we, we made into the finals and played Adelaide City yeah. and it was transferred from Hindmarsh Oval to the Adelaide Oval. And they made a football pitch on that and it did have part of the cricket pitch on it. Yeah. Um, in the times I was there at the Wolves, we always, um, when we got these opportunities, we just weren't able to nail it, you know. And, and in that era, in Adelaide City, they had an unbelievable lineup. Yeah. Okay, Milan Ivanovic at the back, Alex Tobin, um, Vidmars, yeah. you know, all those Joe Mullins, they had some quality players come through. Carl Veert. Yep. Um, Damien Morrie it had some unbelievable players so we were up against them on the Adelaide Oval and we got we got beaten in that um, semi-final game but um, it was an awesome experience about 10,500 people at the ground um, you know the, the full setup was on professional um, I still have bumped into Milan Ivanovic yep. at the back um, I've still bumped into him at a couple of the Socceroos games that I've yep. gone and watched and um he, he, from that generation, they must remember every single person they've met because it still comes up and, hello, hello, Lloyd, how are you? I said, good. <laughs> had a great chat with him, yeah. So back in that era, you know, we had David Green as well from yeah. the Wolves. It was a, a, a great time. And, and through that sort of first three years of toughness with Dave Ratcliffe of, you know, being down the bottom of the league and then finally breaking into that, um, you know, top four, top five. That was um, a fantastic feeling for a, a club that is always punching above their weight. Yep. Always punching above their weight. And and what other sort of, I guess, uh, grounds do you recall in those first few seasons and, and, and players you came against that really uh, that stick in your memory? Stick in my memory? I remember playing down at um, Melbourne, Croatia. Yep. I remember... Marking Mark Viduga. Yep. And I had quite a good game. I had quite a good game. He, he got two goals on me. <laughs> but, um, you know, he was phenomenal. Um, strong, skilled. As soon as he looked at goal, he was able to get a shot off. Um, that was one of my favourite games. And, and I had two goals scored on me. But I got to play against a guy who, you know, at the end of the day went on to bigger and better things yeah, and, and was quite the player of his time so he, he would have been one of my favourites um, Francis Awaratifi was another one yep. who played there at Marconi um, Marconi had quite the players back in the day as well I still Marconi was probably my favourite team to play against yep. uh, at the end of the day I, I scored quite a few goals against them and we always seemed to get that um, 
you know, that goal at the end and beat them both at their ground um, up at Marconi Stadium there. That was arguably the best ground in the uh, the old NSL. Yeah, and I uh, got a couple of goals up there and, yeah, loved, loved playing against Marconi because they were sort of the, um, I suppose, like, you know, the, the, the top team all yeah, the time. Yeah, they were one of the Rolls-Royce teams. Yeah, the Rolls-Royce team, yeah, and loved playing against them. But, yeah, Melbourne, Melbourne, Croatia was tough down yeah. at their ground. You'd, you'd come in on the bus and... Parochial... Very parochial. Supporters? Yeah, as you hopped off the bus, you were, you know, <laughs> swan at and, and pumpkin seeds spat at you and things thrown at you and you'd get in the dressing room going, oh, geez, this is intimidating, isn't it? So, yeah, interesting. So when, I guess, you've been to, I guess, a few A-League games over the years since its inception and um, you've played in the NSL, um, do you think some of that, how would I describe it, I'd describe it as more organic, the NSL, and that it had a, a bit of a different flavour to it, is a bit missed in the A-League? Yeah, I think they're two very different products. Mm. Yeah, product is the word, isn't it? The A-League is more of a product, how can we get bums on the seats, what yeah. can we do? Um, a lot of the philosophies are very much the same coaching-wise and the, and the way they play. Um, I enjoyed watching... Um, you know, the A-League when Ange was coaching Brisbane. Yep. Thoroughly enjoyed watching that. Um, Adelaide for the last couple of years, enjoyed watching them play. And, you know, it pains me to, to say, but also enjoyed watching uh, Melbourne victory, <laughs> even though Musket was there and he frustrates me. I mean, he's, he's the type of guy you'd love to have on your team, but when he's against you, you'd, you'd yeah. hate him with all your passion. Yeah, two, diff- two different products. So... In that time, you're becoming more comfortable um, in there in that sort of early 90s, mid 90s and, and, and playing. And uh, I guess, how, how, how would you uh, sort of prepare for a game? Because there wasn't, well, the internet was probably just coming in the mid 90s, but you probably only had newspapers and what your coaches told you. You had a bit of TV, but not the saturation. So how would you prepare? So you'd rely on you know the older guys in yep. the team, and you'd see um, you know people like Peter Willis, who'd yep. have his boots clean, ready to go, total professional, you know, moulded studs, screw-in studs, yep. extra pair of shin pads, everything neatly set out, ready to go. So yep. you, so you'd learn from that. But then you get some of the young guys like our our famous Matty Horsley, yep. yeah, great guy. Matty's pre-match meal would always be a bowl of hot chips. <laughs> and you'd be sitting there going, maybe that was the secret to his, um, you know, being able to run for 90 minutes and non-stop. Um, and you'd look at that and i go, oh, I couldn't eat hot chips before the game. Well, I did try that. Um, you know, you go through a few rituals of cutting your socks and cutting, you know, the foot out of it yep. and this and that. And you'd, you'd see different players do different things, put the left, left boot on first, the right boot on. But at the end of the day, you know, you just got to be comfortable with yourself. Go in there. Yeah, I've got all my gear, I'm ready to go. And just make sure you have that preparation leading up to it. And what about some of the other players? You spoke of Matty Horsley, but you played with, you know, the likes of, I guess, Hughes, um, Yankos, Green, Holyfield, um, uh, Burke, um, Domofsky. What sort of some of the memories you have of some of those guys? Well, I was fortunate enough when we travelled interstate a couple of times to be roommates with Captain Socceroo, Charlie Yankos. Yep. And, um, you know, what an inspirational guy he is, both on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, 
he's a type of guy, you know, recently I bumped into him up in Sydney and I was up there with my family and he had a, a bunch of suits with him and was showing them around, you know, with the job that he had. And, you know, I was going to give him a wave, but he, he looked quite busy and then caught the eye and Charlie stopped them there and made him stand there and come over and checked how we were. And he's just the ultimate professional, both playing-wise and uh, as a person. Yeah, absolutely lovely guy. But, yeah, rooming with him, I was fortunate enough to learn a lot of things from Charlie Enkos. The first experience I had with him at training, um, you might remember he scored that free kick against Argentina yeah, definitely. at Sydney Football definitely. Stadium. Yeah, bullet. So when we were doing um, set-piece training on a Friday night, you know, everyone dreaded going in the wall because Charlie <laughs> had thighs like Mal Meninga and he was yeah. massive. And, um, you know, the first time I had to go in the wall, anyway, he's belted this ball straight at me. It's nearly knocked me cartwheeling backwards. And <laughs> that was my first and last time being in the wall. I said, you know, I should be out here heading the ball in, not, not standing in the wall. <laughs> Yeah, I learned a lot from Charlie Yankos. David Green was fairly influential as well. Yep. Okay, he was. Um, he was. People thought that he was very laid back, and, and he was. He was quite the professional. David. He, yep. he knew his body quite well and how to treat it and get it right for the game. He game wise and playing wise, he'd probably be one of the most consistent players that that was down there at the time. Um, you know, contrary to you know, he, he used to not mind a, a bit of a, a weekend having a few drinks and whatnot, and, and having a bit of a party. But his preparation throughout the week was unbelievable, and the consistency was there for all to see. He played well each and every game. And and Matty Horsley, uh, his lungs, uh, you know, you've got to have, I guess, a bit more than aerobic capacity. Uh, what else was? part of his game oh, I just got, I got to spend quite a bit of time there with Matt so I got to see quite a bit of development from him coming through the Bowgani yep. um, ranks and then eventually captaining um, the Wolves yep. to, to success um, but yeah it wasn't just running that Matty had he worked on his skills yeah yep. on his scoring of goals and uh, you know he eventually got a bit of a run with the um, the Socceroos there yeah, I think yeah, yeah he had a he couple in. of B internationals or maybe one A yeah. international and a B international yeah but once again you know a young guy thrust into it and he was learning on the go and ta- absorbing everything he could um, and you know it was just great to be there to watch uh, the development and how, how well he ended up playing after uh, David Ratcliffe there was Bertie Mariani and uh, he sort of had a shorter tenure than than uh, David. Uh, how did you find Bertie? Yeah, Bertie's um, philosophy was very different to David. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still see Bertie now. He's still involved with Marconi Club. Um, and we still chat every season. We go to play the Wolves up there against Marconi. But yeah, his philosophy is very different. He um, To start with, I don't think Bertie had us fit enough for the season yep. um, we did a lot of ball work yep. which is great for us but <clears throat> if he coupled that with the fitness side of things I think we would have been in, in, a, in a better state and I still remember that first game down at Morwell Falcons yep. and we actually hired a, a jet from Albion Park a private jet to get us there because he thought it, he was always thinking of best options yep. and I think he might have been at, at the time a little bit ahead of his time yep. in the way he was thinking um, and you know we'd, we'd get down there three hours earlier four hours earlier than what would normally happen with a, yep. a bus trip to the airport flight bus trip to Morwell 
and um, that first game, yeah, we got toasted 4-1, but it was the, the fitness that and, and match conditioning that just wasn't there. We were very good um, on the ball, yep. but um, just didn't have the legs in us at that stage. So in, is it the same as, say, a normal club where do players then speak among themselves and say, well, should we be doing more? Um, should someone speak out and say, well, you know, in the pre-season we should have done more or can we do some more running, coach? Or is it more NSL, you've got your own responsibilities and you get yourself fitter away from the training? There probably could have been a, a bit of all of that. Yep. Yeah, and, um, you know, perhaps some of the senior players should have arced up a little bit more and said, yep. we need this. Um, but then again, players generally will look for the easiest option. Yep. Okay, and, and when that's presented to you that... Even at that do, level. Yeah, we're going to do a lot of stuff on the ball, which was different to what we were, we were used to. Yep. And, um, you know, we're thinking we're going to get um, a lot of fitness using the ball. Um, yep. it, it could have been added upon, and I think we would have been in good, good shape. He had some good ideas, but the execution probably wasn't wholesome at that stage. And so that was more, I guess, uh, around that sort of 95 sort of era and then um he then his tenure ended and then nick theodora Coppolis came came in did he yeah nick came in nick was um nick was then the the opposite of that he was fit you know fitness as he's um i can i can draw some comparisons with um coach luke wilkshire at the moment yep and luke's you know luke luke gets the players if we're not fit if we're not able to run and compete for that 90 minutes we're not going to be able to play the type of football that he wants us to play. Yep. Um, Nick was the same. I still remember playing sort of half-pitch possession games and he'd, he'd line you up, you know. I might have been with Scotty Chipperfield. Yep. Lloydie, you and Chippers are together. When Lloydie gets the ball, Chippers, I want you <laughs> putting pressure on him. When Chippers gets it, I want you putting pressure yep. on him sort of thing. And um, they'd go for, you know, a 15-minute stint and it's half a pitch, 8v8. Mate, we were absolutely knackered. But, but by the end of it starting games we we knew we could go for 90 minutes so if you coupled birdies ball playing and yep. and loads of technical stuff with nick's sort of approach then you, you're going to have a good um combination which probably at the end of the day when when they won at the wolves that's what that's the what fitness and the, the technical play was quality and and in regards to your time there at the wolves you're sort of around that 26 27 mark um, in that sort of mid to sort of 96, 97 time, um, what sort of, what was, uh, I guess, transpired there for you to sort of finish up there? Yeah, so I, I hit my straps at 26 and 27. I talked to Flem about it every now and again when we, we catch up and um, I was just starting to play my best football and I, I still, you know, haven't got clarification off Nick what what uh, eventuated there, but he pretty much told me you're going to be playing youth grade I'm not going to be, you know, looking at you here and there. He had a bit of a wipe out of players and yep. brought new ones in, which is fair enough as the, as the coach. But yeah, just um, perhaps if I stayed around and and fought a bit more for the position, I look back on that and go, maybe that was a sign of him saying fight more. Yep. Um, but yeah, initially I took it as you know move on, and uh, and I did that, and then moved on, and played some state league. Yeah, you you went to Illawarra Lions there in in uh, 97 and, and played a few games before you went overseas that year what do you recall of I guess the transition back back from NSL to, to State League yeah it was it was a drop 
in in the standard of play. But um, going back there, I believe the Illawarra Lions were just a newly formed club yep. from the roots from, from Wollongong, uh, Macedonia. Macedonia. Yeah, yep. and uh, I was also helping out coaching the under fifth. That's where my coaching career started. Okay. Coached the under fifteens while I was playing as well. Um, you know that just helped out paying some bills and and yep. things like that. Um, and then I did, you know, want a break from it because I've been going for seven, eight years and, and went overseas on a bit of a trip yep. and um, yeah, took the rest of the season off for that. And and in uh, the, the subsequent year there in 98, you, you joined up with MacArthur Rams under Casey De Bruin. Yep. Um, I've had quite a few, uh, several people talk about, you know, John Fleming, Glenn Fontana and, and Casey's one of them. Um, did Casey approach you and... Yeah, and, Casey. And what sort of bike or coach is he like? Casey approached me. Um, you know, back in the day, he he was the ultimate, or is the ultimate professional. He he wants things a certain way, and he has a plan to to execute that. Um, at the time, Macarthur were looking at really pushing high level stuff, similar to what they've got now with their yeah. their A League um, bid that they've been successful with. We were to play out of Campbelltown Stadium and things like that. So, yeah, I went up to Linwood Park. We had David Kerr from down here. He yep. was another one that had played with Casey, I believe, at Lysarts. Yep. So Dave and I went up there and formed sort of the um, central defender combination. And um, uh, Casey also, you know, because he was working at Westfield Sports High, he, um, he had a lot of um, connections up there. So he knew quite a few Sydney players and he assembled a, a very good squad. And, um, yeah, we... We were in that state league and we finished third two years yep. in a row, but we're only three points off winning it. And once again, came down to those couple of crucial games that um, you know we either drew or, or, or lost. But um, yeah, we nearly we nearly pulled it off. But I thoroughly enjoyed my time up there with Case, um, and um, you know a lot of things that I do now in my coaching, I've learnt from from those days of. Um, being coached by him so is there an example you can give there in terms of is he more around set pieces or the way he sets up a training session oh no he he'll, he will um he'll have a style of play and yep. he will teach each and every player their role you know within he, that style within that style yeah and uh, if you're playing in this position this is what we want it to look like if this happens can you adjust to this and um he was very good at teaching um, you know the whole squad it's yep. well and good going and saying to one player do this but but having that all come together in, in that 11 on the pitch yep. uh, that's a skill and um, yeah he's quite quite good at that so he he was probably um, one that stuck with um, sort of plyometrics yep. in building up the strength in players and things like that so we did we did a lot of that type of stuff short sharp footwork um, so he introduced a lot of stuff that many of the players hadn't had before I'd had a tinkering of it yep which was great but a lot of players were introduced to some new stuff and um, yeah it was a, a great atmosphere there and uh, yeah, we nearly nearly pulled it off for those two years and and, and some of the players that you um, played with there um, just looking um, at my notes you know you, you spoke about David Kerr but you had um, I think David Reed as well um, you had blokes like Williams, Crawley, O'Shea, Burke who, who you had played with uh, yeah. or had interactions with previously Valet, Lord so um, yeah, how, Ma- how was that? I think Ma- Marty Burke was one of Casey's favourites as yeah. in you know he'd, he'd gone a couple of places with Case and um, 
Martin, yeah, he did an awesome job in that midfield for Case and the team that year. Yeah. Um, we also had John Crawley. He yeah. was uh, he's now the Sydney FC um, goalkeeper coach, and he was uh, probably one of the first keepers to do this, sort of the um, sideways volley kick, yeah. and he was as accurate as can be. Um, he highlighted to me that goalkeepers need to be fit as well because yeah. going through your career they're sort of a separate breed the old goalkeepers <laughs> and you know the only thing we had to do with them was either score past them or, or bollock them if one went in <laughs> and um, yeah John was he was the fittest in the team he would beat every player in the sprints long distance running he would kill everyone so yeah he he was destined for bigger and better things old John Crawley and it was great having him in the sticks um, we had a Dion Vale, I think his yeah. name was. He played at the back with us. I think he got a few games with Perth Glory yeah. towards the start of the A-League. Um, Kane Rastel is a guy that I bump into now. He's out at Blacktown City coaching-wise. Um, yeah, he was a great midfielder. But uh, David Reed, he's yeah. the uh, brother of Paul Reed, who yeah. scored that famous goal <laughs> in, the, in the Wolves um, NSL Grand Final victory. But yeah, David was quite the player as well. I'd, I'd go as far as to say he was, he was up there with his brother. And um, how he didn't get to go higher has um, has got me beat a little bit. Yeah. At that time, there you you had uh, four or five seasons there with Macarthur. Um, was it that you still had aspirations early on in that stint to maybe get back into the NSL and and having Casey there and his appetite to to teach and and and. And you guys to learn, did that sort of help you say, well, it's state league, but geez, I'm I'm getting some good coaching here. Yeah, I th- I thoroughly enjoyed that year, those years being coached by Case, but I, I had you know a decision to make. Mm. I said, you know, if you're going to go NSL or, or higher, you've got to move away from the area. You've got to do this and that. Yeah. And my teaching career, my my career that I have now. Thoroughly enjoy teaching. Um, one of the greatest jobs I've, I've ever done. Um, that sort of was in my mind as well. And um, you know, just starting a family. I still remember out at MacArthur, we had our firstborn, Jackson, and um, one of the teachers at school knitted me a full MacArthur strip for, <laughs> for the young bloke. And you know, putting that on, I sort of looked and went, maybe this is it, you know yep. what I mean? And then at MacArthur, a few new coaches came in after Casey and I sort of lost that desire to drive up yep. at the time. I, I think Dave Kerr might have dropped out at that stage too. He was my travel buddy and, yep. and we had Trevor Witted as well. And then um, I think I came back to either, yeah, I think it was Olympic for half a year or yep. and then Kembla Warra caught up with John Fleming again. He said, come out here. And I said, yeah, no worries. So uh, just backtracking a little bit, do you think you were more content with that decision because of, like you said, family, vocation that, you know, 164 appearances for the Wolves. So you'd had several seasons playing in the top league, doing well. So do you think you were content in the saying, well, I don't have to prove anything um, and and it's now time to move on? It, that, that, that was the case. Yeah. I'd had a, a great time at that top level. Um, and then when I weighed up the pros and cons of... I had a couple of sniffs from a couple of other clubs, but yep. I'd have to move quite a significant yep. shift Yep. uproot the family and all that sort of stuff I just said you know what I don't really want to do that um, so what were some of those other offers those other offers in yeah we'll call the old Sydney United again yep. or Sydney I don't think they're called Sydney United then or they're still Croatia they they were always an option because yep. mum and dad didn't live too far away from the ground and things like that um, I didn't yeah 
I didn't pursue that. I sort of talked to my wife and said, I'm pretty happy doing this. I've yep. had, a, had a pretty good run of it. Um, Injury-wise, I was I was pretty good. Yep. Um, you know, and, and as you get older, um, things then start to go awry if you <laughs> if you don't keep yourself in in tip top shape. Um, and then you know, I got a permanent job as well, teaching wise. So that was significant in that decision. And they can be hard to get in. Yeah, that's yep. right. And with a young family coming along, I was I was looking forward to being a dad. So Kembawara, like you said, you had half a season there uh, at Wollongong Olympic, um, who I had missed out that you had because of the uh, NSL was in the summer. You did have yeah. some uh, stints there at Coromel in the early 90s and under Alston and also under Peter Willis a couple of seasons at Olympic in the mid-90s. But you then joined up uh, with John Fleming at Kembawara. So um, what, what attracted you to John and Kembawara? Well, I hadn't. Uh, Kembawara were a reasonably new club yep. in the Premier League. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know John loves to assemble a good team. And um, he, he rang me and said, I want you to be a significant part of, of what we've got here. You know, he, he always <coughs> had a very strong spine uh, yep. of a team. So I want you to be in the, the centre of midfield there, scoring the odd goal and also a few young players around you that you can guide around the park. And, um, yeah, that, that really interested me because it wasn't too far from home. Yeah. Um, you know, lovely people down there running the club. Yeah, it's um, a Portuguese, Portuguese community. Club, yep. Yep. Um, went in there and, and made new friends and absolutely loved it down there. And Flem, you know, was putting on good sessions and had a good um, good culture building there. Yep. And um, we went through and, and won a few um, few games there and got ourselves to a grand final and blew that one, but won a Burt Bampton Cup game. And, and maybe a league as well. Yeah, and Port Kembla, I think, were... Port Kembla and Lysarts might have been the, the teams that... And Coniston as and well. Coniston were up there at that stage, yeah. So what do you recall of uh, John as a, as a coach? Because oh, I guess you had that interaction in the, the late 80s where he sort of said, look, you're not ready yet when you're a younger man and, and now you had your chance yeah. under him. Um, how, was, how was he as a coach? It's good to reflect on that now. You know, his man management was fantastic. He, um, he knew which strings to pull to get the best out of you. Yep. Um, one one player we had down there at the time was Jason Kenchevsky. Yep. Okay, and Jason had been to a couple of clubs and would have a good game, not so good game, but John was just able to tweak the right things and get the best out of him. And he was um, a prolific goal scorer for us. Um, he banged in quite a bit. And I think he ended up playing for Avala, Bonnie Rick. Yeah. yeah, and went on to bigger and better things. But yeah, John's man management was um, top shelf. And, and some of the other players there, you played with Norm Wicker, Kane Duncan, um, Daniel Aldridge, Jose Fernandez, Aaron O'Brien, John Flack, the Matthew brothers. Um, what was that like? Yeah, no, they're, they're all great guys. I still um, bounce in with a few of them as yep. uh, as friends these days. We uh, bounce in with Aaron every now and again. He still does his push-ups before he goes out, so he looks nice and buff. Um, <laughs> I've got John Flackey. He became a teacher as well. I haven't okay. seen Flackey for quite some time, but I know he's doing quite well in his, his teaching career. I bumped into Normie Wicker probably yep. about a month ago. We had a good chat about the old days. Normie was a, an out-and-out central defender, yep. um, win ball and, and lay that off. I probably had the best combination with Jose Fernandez. Yep. Um, and Jose's job was he, he, is to win the ball, yep. get it to me. And yep. as soon as he got it to me, then we started to set play up. And... Um, he, he played a significant role in, in us doing well 
I'd say, yeah, he, he covered a lot of ground, won a lot of ball. So Flem, yeah, Flem knew everyone's strengths and, and got us to play to those strengths, which is fantastic. So it seems like that um, people like himself and even Casey, they might might not be at the top tier, say the NSL or the A-League, but they still coach in a professional way that is appealing to people like yourself and others. Yeah, and that, that attracts you to wanting to play for them and, and, and you know, being part of that culture. And no matter what level they're at, they, they demanded the best. And they also you know, were good role models with it too. They, they promoted the best by doing it. And uh, after a, a couple of seasons there, um, John's time ended and, and, and you uh, uh, helped the club out by coaching their player coach there for a little while? Yeah, what happened there was um, when John had left, um, a guy named Rob Burkham came along yep. and he was, I think he might have been with Casey at Lysarts. And yep. um, yeah, and the club asked about Rob and we said, well, have a look at what he's doing over here, he should be you know, the guy to take over. And then halfway through the year, he was missing some sessions and whatnot. I don't know what was happening, but yeah. um, you know, I'd have to sort of run that and run that. And then eventually the club um, moved him on because he, he'd missed a few sessions and the, club, the results weren't as good as what they, they should have been or the club expected. And then for the remainder of the season, I just said, look, I'll take over and we'll, we'll try and get this uh, happening. And I think we just... We either just missed out on the five or we got to the fifth spot and, and yep. lost that first semi-final. And that was my first sort of, you know... Um, Taste bite, of bite coaching. It, yeah, bought it senior coaching anyway. Because at that point in time, had you been doing some, some junior coaching as well? Yeah, so I started, obviously, when, you, when you're teaching and you have your schoolboy soccer, yep. particularly at primary school level, I was doing a lot of junior coaching there. Um, and with Illawarra Lions, my, my stint there... You did the under-15s? Um, yeah, took the under-15s team there. We got, you know, that first year we got them through to um, grand final. Um, once again, another another close call. But, um, yeah, that sort of got me going with the, with the coaching. And so at the end of that year, um, did you then uh, finish up, excluding your, your days at Balgani Crows, the amateur team, and half Olympic? Was that pretty much the end of yourself as a, a senior footballer? Yeah, I said, yeah, that's that's enough, and um, and a few people lured me back in those amateur teams, yeah. and um, yeah, had had a lot of a lot of fun playing with that. Also, you know, coupled in a few things work wise. In two thousand and five, I was able to do um, a teacher exchange to Canada. Yep. So my family and I packed up and swapped houses and jobs with a family from Canada. Yep. So we got to go live over there for for twelve months and learn uh, about another culture yep. and um, I had to take my, my class for sport every Thursday yep. I had to take them snowboarding so <laughs> I said well when in Rome do what the Romans do I, I learned how to snowboard with my class um, the kids all taught me how to do it and they had fun <laughs> the first few weeks pushing me down the mountain and watching the teacher snowball but um, after that I actually picked it up and thoroughly enjoyed it so that love of uh, snow sport was sort of embedded in. And um, as we know, football is a winter sport. Yep. And so snowboarding. So that sort of took over a little bit after yep. I'd finished playing, you know, at a serious level. And and it, that time when you returned from Canada, is that when you sort of uh, took up the, the reins of coaching? Um, firstly, you were coaching... Um, Bowgowney junior teams, and I'm assuming that's with your family. Yeah. And, and then... Did you really then just gain a sort of 
appetite to say, well, hey, I want to do this more and more at different levels? Yeah, so well, it started actually over in Canada because during the summertime, um, this is this is why football is is the ultimate game because we went to Canada knowing no one, and within you know the first three months, we've got a whole network of friends because of football. You know, firstly watching it, yep. and then um, in the summertime because uh, it's light till about eleven o'clock at night, yep. you'd have your Monday league during summer, and that's yep. when and I'd play. <laughs> Talked my wife into playing. She played in the women's team, and my two boys played while we we're in Canada. And um, when you're playing, you know, in a competition in a country town, and you've played a reasonable level, you sort of um, yeah stick out a little bit. And um, so I was banging goals in for the team over there, and, and once again went to a club that um, sort of was struggling and had never <laughs> done too much. And we, we were leading the comp, and <laughs> people starting to come and watch us play, going, "How's this all happening?" But you know, through football, we then made hundreds of friends and, and we're still friends with them now. Um, so at the end of the day, it's a great game. You make lots of friends from it, uh, lifelong friends. Yeah, um, you keep yourself fit and healthy. Um, that's, that's, that's why I love the game. So you, you then, um, apart from doing Bowgani junior teams, uh, you're involved in uh, um, things like Project 22, um, which, you know through and I know you won't talk about it but there's there's quite a few uh, players that from that project are still playing at a high level and you know talking about the life cycle and and friendships in football you know Johnny Danzo you'd played with him and then coached one of his his children as well yeah so moving on to Balgowney you know obviously your kids start growing up and you sort of show them a few games of football like your dad did back yeah, in the day yeah. but but these days you know you're able to show them a lot more games <laughs> at, at more friendly times as well and then the kids you know went and had a game of football and they started enjoying it and um, you know put your hand up to coach and there's no dads there and I go okay I'll I'll have a crack at it so yeah. started taking the kids through playing their their football their and groups. yeah and I, I, I like doing things properly and so we'd get down there and actually set it up. And as you know, lots of mums and dads are coaching and they're, they're busy at work. And, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a hard, hard slog to get that yeah, done. Definitely. But fortunately, you know, having resources and a teaching background, um, that helped immensely. And I was able to put on good sessions for the kids. And yeah, I still remember Johnny Danzo's young bloke came over and he um, I was coaching two teams at the time. Yeah, my son was in one team of the under eights or under nines and mother son was in the age group above and you know, we Johnny's young bloke was playing in, in the younger age group Isaac Danzo and I'd bring him up to play in the older age group and he'd absolutely kill it and <laughs> we end up getting to a grand final in about under tens I think it was and we're playing down at the quarry there at Kiama and yep. said to Isaac I said mate you're starting in the older age group <laughs> and so Isaac was just he was oh, so excited and we're playing Port Kembla who hadn't lost a game all year and had sort of towed us up throughout the season and old Isaac's played the game of his life and you know he's he's slotted the winning we get a penalty and all the kids look at me and I go Isaac you're taking it buddy so Isaac slots the penalty three Port Kembla dads are escorted out of the ground for <laughs> you know unsportsman I, I conduct I should laugh at being escorted out of the ground but unsportsman conduct and, and whatnot and we end up winning that grand final and you know it all came down to, to young Isaac 
burying the penalty and, and playing the game of his life. And um, the next year after that, Project 22 started up and, and the idea was that Australia were bidding for the 22 yep. um, World Cup and, and the players of that age group that were going to be around about the age of 20 through to 24 yep. were the ideal candidates to be the Socceroos then. So they put a program in place, Football New South Wales where it was all paid for and it was the best of the best and um, Wollongong were fortunate enough to get their own group to start with it was joined with Sutherland but then they split that and um, yeah I got to coach the inaugural team for the under 9-10s I think it was and um, we could have had 16 players in it but initially we picked nine players and um, because the philosophy was best of the best and players would come along on trial and Quite, quite ruthless. If they weren't up to standard, it wasn't like you know we feel sorry for them and put them in. We we kept those nine players, and um, I still remember the parents on the first football New South Wales gala day. We got touched up by every team, absolutely pounded, and um, a couple of parents. I think Dylan Ryan, who's just made the under twenty three Socceroos <laughs> team, I still remember his dad Chad saying to me, "Rich, oh, I don't think this is for our kids." I said, "Mate, relax. This is." <laughs> This is a process and um, we went on that year and played every game and won every game bar the very last one. And um, in that last game, we had 14 shots to three and lost 3-2. And um, those kids just played the best football. And, um, you know, young Isaac Danza is now over with Levante in Spain. Joel King's now starting first grade for um, Sydney FC. Um, Philip Kankar's over at Red Star Belgrade. you got uh, Dylan Ryan over at Willem Tway about to be loaned out. So four out of the nine are um, off doing bigger and better things. Marcus Bimbalovsky's up at Sydney United. Um, so it was a talented squad. I know Peter Willis took over those kids into the next stage group yep. and he, he value-added to, to them as well. And then um, Yanni, I can't remember his surname, but Yanni from Sydney then took over with the Institute yep. and, and added to them. And it goes back to that philosophy I said that my dad had, you know, that player-centred approach. And in those golden years of, of learning, getting the right things in play yep. will go a long way to giving you a good career in football. And so that sort of, I guess, did that energise you to a certain extent to stay in the game and, and to keep, yeah. I guess, gathering the knowledge and... and um, sort of experience to coach more and more yeah and it, it sort of highlighted in my professional um, job as a teacher as well how important those formative years are in developing great habits for learning yep. and um, you know just constantly you know, trying to get across to the kids keep keep practicing keep developing yep. keep learning don't stop you know don't stop learning you don't know it all yet and, and even at my age now at 50 yeah. um, I, I don't stop learning and I actually love going into the classroom every year because I know the, the, the new you know, kids that are coming through to my class, they're going to take me on a journey where I'll learn a lot more. Yeah, and, different uh, challenges, yeah, different never, experiences. Never stop. So after Project 22, um, is that the sort of point in time where you started doing some stuff with, um, I guess, the Football South Coast or... Um, different bits and pieces there with junior teams or what sort of yeah sort of you had your your holiday clinics and things like that and um i think that's sort of the um the startup of the academy sort of setups where we had cover coaching and and different things like that came through so i dabbled in that yeah um didn't 
quite commit because it was a massive commitment the project 22 that was sort of four nights a yeah. week um although you know some good aspects of it were that parents didn't have to pay yeah. for their kids to play um the coaches were actually remunerated you know from football new south wales and it was um it was uh, the precursor to the the modern day sap um but i think back then it was um yeah the, the higher order and the the strict entry to it yep made it more of an elite program these days i think you know we just haven't got that balance right yet in my opinion yep so where did you you go to next then it was more of the schoolboy stuff yep and then um, in 2011 i had the opportunity to take my family out of school for the year and we did a 12-month trip in a caravan around australia and halfway on that trip i got a phone call from glenn fontana who was the technical director of the wolves and glenn um, offered me the position of an under 20s coach to assist trevor morgan um with the with the senior setup and i said that that'd be great so i came back and became the under 20s coach and um, assisted trevor and that was for two years and then trevor um, then moved on to the wanderers and then the first grade position became available um under resourced um club just hanging on by a thread um i still remember my first year as as the first grade coach you know photocopying contracts signing players up on money that we didn't really know was going to be there um i still remember chris price is a current first grader signing for you know a quarter of the money he could have got elsewhere just to try and keep the club going um and that first year as a first grade coach for the wolves we um we finished last on points and it came down to the last game against central coast and it was club championship that kept you in in the first grade uh, in the npl one and first we were nine points on the club championship behind central coast going into that game peter willis had the under 18s and their under 18s were red hot we ended up getting that victory, which gave us three points to the club championship, so we're only six behind. I had Steve Hayes, um, Chris Price, and a couple of other players say, look, Lloydie, we'll sit on the bench for under-20s, and um, if we need to come on, or if yep. we can come on and sort of snaffle the win, we'll get those six points. Yep. And um, their reserve grade was also very good, and um, we didn't need to bring those guys on. They, they finished the last 10 minutes but we actually won that game comfortably so even on points going into the first grade fixture down at um Mass, uh, hooker park yep and um one nil up we had um i think ricky zuko was playing back then peter simonovsky and guys like that we um one nil up central coast came back one all we were two one up and they scored at the death and everyone's just looking around game what do we do mark jones was their coach he went yep. on to be um newcastle jets a yeah. league coach and um, we went to the rule book, and uh, the team that had scored the most goals throughout the season were the ones that stayed up. We'd scored five more goals um, than what Central Coast had. So my attacking philosophy uh, worked out <laughs> that season to keep us in the league. And um, you know, I do believe that if we did go down, I don't think um, you know, I don't think we'd be here today with the Wolves. Because we're not uh, exaggerating there. Um, you know, Jacob Tintano has talked about um, that, and 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 it's. Probably in the local community, well publicised um, how how hard a, a struggle it is and has been for the Wolves over the last ten fifteen years, and you know even when you were playing in the nineties that 
we were one of the lesser teams in terms of finances, so it's a it's a difficult position, isn't it? Oh, very difficult position, and um, yeah, that's why there's a lot of people that you know slag coaches off or, or officials off, and unless you've been in there and been part of it, you know yeah. your, your opinions are a little bit diluted in, um, in in saying things about that. You know, I think we need to have that forum, like I mentioned earlier to try and bring it all together and say, is this the way we should go about it? Yep. You know, and um, and Luke's, Luke's come in and, you know, absolutely played an unbelievable brand of football, um, exciting to watch. Outside our community here, outside the Illawarra, the, the Wollongong Wolves are massive. Every yep. part of the country you go to and you speak to football people, they'll still all know the Wollongong Wolves, yeah, you know. Unbelievable, I think. It's a great brand to still yeah. attach to because it's got a lot of, you know, history and, and, and a lot of credit to it. Yeah, and the, but, you know, what we've got in our community now, we've got <clears throat> a lot of kids playing some decent football. How are we going to streamline it all and make it, yeah. you know, make it better for them? Streamline and... Um, Potentially, uh, you know, even people like myself in Clubland, you know, we need to sort of sometimes streamline our own um, dreams and objectives and, and come together. So after that season where last day Central Coast, you then coached first grade the next year as well? The next year and then we, um, once again, we're talking about the Wolves not having, um, you know, as much as other clubs, our facilities are what killed us. Um, we put them through a pre-season where we introduced uh, gym programs and things like that and we had these guys fit as a fiddle. You know, three weeks before the season start that year, we played City United who just won the Australian Championship yep. like the Wolves have just won and um, we brained them up at their home ground. We were 3-0 up with two minutes to go, three minutes to go and I put a couple of youngsters on, scoring up 3-2, we won and Mark Rudham who's a Western United coach and now goes, Richard, you guys played us off the park. And then um, for three weeks straight, it just absolutely poured rain and um, not having a training facility. Um, you sort know, of those alternates yeah, where it rains. The only thing we could get was the hockey pitch at the Wollongong Uni. And, um, you know, that's a slippery surface as it is. Yeah, the hockey, not, not Yeah, not and then football. we go into the pre-season losing a, a lot of momentum. And then, you know, result, 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 five games in. You know, we'd had, I think, a win and four losses and then got the hook at Sydney, Sydney United's ground. Um, once again, it's unfortunate, you know. There's a, the, the way it all happened was, was not um, conducive to good play. Um, yep. You know, being told you sacked at the, the back of a grandstand in front of the opposition coach um, who you'd beaten, you know, nine weeks prior. Um, that was a hard pill to swallow, you know, and I, there's a few people there that I was very disappointed in. I wish yep. they'd, um, you know, taken me into the office and did it the same way they appointed me and said, look, it's not working here. Um, and then I went on my way. And- For a couple of years there at, at Coromore in 2014 and 15, you, you got back into uh, men's football and, and, and coaching there. So was it just a, a bit of a yearning to... To get back into that area, yeah, uh, apart so, from you know being involved in the wolves in that aspect, yeah. So the Coromel, um aspect came about where I had the misfortune of being uh, turfed from the uh, first grade job at the wolves there, um, 
I was in the middle of doing my A license, and, and those coaches that are, that are doing all their license at the moment, you, you pay an absolute fortune to get your accreditation. Um, so I was halfway through an A license, which had cost me up to that stage about fourteen grand, yep. and I wanted to get that finished. Um, so I was sort of sitting there wallowing, going, "Poor me!" For a few weeks, you know, you got the sack, and I said, "Oh well, other worst things could happen." And yep. then um, David Cooter was coaching at Coromel. Yep. And um, Dave's a former youth player at the Wolves. And um, he just gave me a call and said, Rich, I'm working and sometimes I'm out of, out of the state and yep. get back late for training. Could you be my assistant and help me out? And I said, mate, I'd love to. So I went down there and helped Dave out. And, and Coromel had been on a pathway of rebuilding and, and yep. you know wanting to get better. I, I'd played for Coromel earlier in my career yep. and um, loved it down there met some fantastic people so I said yeah I'll come along and do that and then the following year Dave was unable to continue coaching um, and then Claude um, Guido yep. approached me and said would you take the team I said yep no drama and then we, we set about <coughs> recruiting some players and um, was in the district league we ended up finishing second to Picton but, but got through to the grand final that year the first yep. grand final thing for 35 years for Coromel and um, yeah, on that game, we I remember distinctly um, our captain Jason Ray was out for the semi final, and I played a young guy in there, and the young guy absolutely carved it. And uh, I had a, a choice to make as a coach: do you bring the incumbent back in, or do you keep the young bloke? And um, you know, my philosophy has always been: we, we're giving these young guys, yep. you know, the, the the trip. So he he got the run there, and probably ran out of steam and probably could have got him off a bit earlier and we got back to one all and had chances to score and missed and then um yeah guy from Picton Aiden I can't remember his surname Aiden scored an absolute bomb <laughs> and um you know if you're going to lose I suppose that's one of the goals it's yeah something spectacular got us there and um you know we missed out at Coromel that stage of winning the grand final but this year uh, luckily they went on and um and secured that much needed uh, grand final victory so you're technical director at Wolves. I finished my stint at Coromel and just about yep. got my A licence. I still needed to finish another <coughs> season off. Yep. So um, I was disappointed at the people who were there at the time that, yep. that, did, that did it the way they did. Um, but then, you know, the, the, the Wolves cop it <coughs> in many, many um, aspects, you know. People don't make it. Parents whinge and yep. give the Wolves heaps. It's not the Wolves that have done things there it's certain individuals that have made driving the car at the time yeah people have made certain errors and and haven't thought and done things the proper way so I looked at it and went well the wolves have never hurt me the wolves have actually been good for me and um you know I talked to Jacob and he said I'd like you to come back as you know could you do a TD's role we need someone to oversee um juniors and seniors um you need that role to be able to uh, be compliant with football New South Wales rules and regulations so I went back there then and um and was part of the um, the TD role in, in trying to help the coaches out. And once again, you know, you you got facilities there that aren't up to scratch. Yep. And you got these coaches who give up all these hours to try and make it better for the kids. Um, and I was just overseeing that and 
troubleshooting and <clears throat> putting out spot fires to try and help build that culture um, to a point now where you know we've 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 got an excellent culture. We've got a lot more people that that are playing a role. Yep. Um, you know, you got Jacob Timpano there at the Wolves running the SAP program, and that's evolved over the four years he's been there, and he takes yeah, pride definitely. in you know in making it better. He's got great contacts with Kelly Cross up at Sydney FC, and players are moving up there, and <clears throat> Kelly's giving expertise down here. So that space is going really well. We've got Neil Mann, you know, in charge of the juniors there, and the junior space is is ever improving and it's getting better it's just that one facility that we could have everyone at yeah. that would make a, you know a world of difference and, and Luke's taken on the role of seniors there and he's got a really good culture going um, and my job you know this year there at the Wolves is to try and help Luke get <coughs> his philosophy and way of playing throughout the whole club so we can then say we we have a true pathway where kids are learning to play you know the Wollongong Wolves way and um I think we have a pretty good uh, motto, go forward, create and convert. And when you're watching us play, they're the three uh, three elements we want to come out. I did watch a couple of games last year and it was, uh, you know, people, um, you know, I'll be uh, fair dinkum in saying that, you know, uh, part of it was that you could see that there was a new energy there um, yeah. and, and there was talk in, in this town, which is predominantly soccer, or football, so um, and and uh, must go, um, and not that you're going to respond necessarily, but it says a lot about um, people like yourself and Jacob that you know have had roles there, and sometimes your ego can take over and say, well, oh, now I was not first grade coach anymore, I can't go back to that club. You know, some people go that way about sort of saving face, but yourself and him are are still involved and, and the board itself and the other volunteers have done a great job in keeping it going. And that's because it's um, player-centred. It's all about the kids, mate. It's not about us and, and us being, you know, I've set this up and I've done yep. this. It's about how can we work as a collective group to inspire these kids to be better, you know. And then if you take that sort of model, and I, I do believe, you know, Football South Coast are doing that with their kids. Yep. And it's just we've got to make sure... All things come together and we try and make it as best as possible politically if we do yep. that as a, as, as a whole group and as a football community you know we're going to get these grounds in that other communities have that we yeah, don't. They, they take it as normal if we can get some more of those pictures that we've got at Ian McLennan Park down yeah. at Coolabong or, or wherever it will be um, or work with the university um, they seem to be uh, putting a bit more. Yeah, and and, time then, and, and not to football. forget clubland as well because yeah. that's where all these kids that we've got coming through, you know, to Wolves um, and now your Flame, your local, the Royal Premier League clubs, they've all come from clubland. Yeah, definitely. And we've got to service those, um, you know, service those areas because they're the kids that we want to to inspire. And and, and what about um, before we talk about some of the other highlights? Um, throughout your whole career uh what about you are you content at the moment as a coach and and as your position at the wolves or or do you still have a, a sort of passion to potentially uh have a, a first grade coaching role somewhere else in the future yeah at, at the moment i i thoroughly enjoy um i'm in a, in a very good position where um you know i'm, I'm, I'm able to go and watch Luke's sessions um, yep. I'm able to take notes and say mate how are we going to get this into our 20s our 18s our 16s 
Um, we we go through our club philosophy that's been put together by Jake, Neil, myself, and Luke, yep. and we we have this live document that's not Richard Lloyd's, it's not Neil Mann's, it's not Jacob Chimpanzo, it's not just Luke's, it's Everyone's. input from everyone. And then hopefully what I see is that I leave, you know, when, when my time's up and I've, yep. I've put in what I can do, I move on and then someone else comes in and value adds to that and we yep. keep that system going where it's getting better and better and it's player-centred, not yep. a coach or an individual-centred. It's player-centred, how can we make it better? And, um, you know, obviously we make mistakes as well, but, you know, we've got a good core of people there that learn from it and they take the feedback and they go, right, how can we make it better? And it's just, it's building and building. And, um, you know, I like I like that role that I, I've got at the moment um, to be able to try and help implement that and, you know, play a role in, in making it better. Because I guess uh, part of it as well is that, you know, the Wolves are doing a lot off the field. Um, not just in the sort of, you know, the coaching spaces off the field and on the field, but um, in other aspects in terms of Albert Butler and, and different bits and pieces that Chris Shepherd and the board are, are putting in place. So um, it's an exciting period with, you know, in the next few years, talk of a, a second division, um, although the monetary aspect to it is, is probably one of the hardest parts. So is that exciting knowing that's on the horizon as well yeah it's exciting knowing that's on the horizon it's exciting knowing that you know the the, the staff that we have there i mean susan gatt's the um you know the pillar she's, she's been there she's in, been since there. the 90s yeah and she's you know she must sit there woman. as well having having worked hard but also sit there and go wow look where it's come from yeah. she'd have a very very unique perspective on that and um yeah, as you mentioned chris shepherd's got involved and he he's another professional in what he does uh he he wants quality, um, yep. and he, he demands it in a respectful way. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I love working with Chris, and we just got to get more like-minded people involved, and or um, putting them in the people hopping on the bus and being in the right seat with their strengths, um, you know, coming to the fore. And and looking back at at, um, at your time in the game, especially your playing career. Um, uh, what are some of the still of the highlights that uh, when you when we've spoken about it today and and when you reflect, what are the highlights that come to mind? Oh, highlights for me, are, you know, being being able to put on that Wolves jersey and and, and running out on some of those grounds. Um, yep. I'm big on telling stories in my classroom. Yep. I believe kids learn from from your experiences. Um, and you know, I still tell them about stories of when I played football and, and how that can relate to things they're going through in life. Yep. I said, well, on the football pitch, you know, playing against Perth Glory when we when they first came into the league, and there's fourteen thousand Perth fans there, <laughs> all telling you, you know, you're rubbish and things like that. Do I let my mind go off and be affected by that, or am I mindful enough to go, no, I'm better than that? and yep. then play that game out and, and stop my you know, attacker from scoring and me putting pressure on him. So, yeah, loads of lessons I've learned from football, absolutely loads of them. And, um, yeah, I've got a bit of a knack to be able to share that with the kids I teach yep. and, um, and relate it to things that are happening in their world today. So they're probably the – yeah, that's probably one of the greatest things I've got from it. Another, another fantastic thing is all the friends. Yeah. Um, you know, at times my family – do get the poops with me because we'd be going out and I'll bump into Jim Bob and I'll bump into this person. Yep. They go, how do you know that person? I say, oh, well, I played against him here yep. and, you know, he nutmegged me or he got a goal on me here <laughs> and things like that. And, yeah, yeah, 
all those experiences add up to this wonderful community that yeah, we it have. Yeah, vibrant, and, isn't it? Yeah, and I you know, came down here as a university student and I'm still here and yeah, not going to leave. <laughs> so, uh, Richard, you've, you've scored a lot of goals in your time. Uh, run, us, run us through a, a couple of goals that, you, that still stick in the memory. Uh, one of my favourite goals, uh, NSL goals, uh, was up at Marconi Stadium where... Um, a young Bobby Catlin was in goals and, um, you know, it was a winning goal. And yep. I, I got the ball from a Matt Horsley flick on just out on the right-hand side and just headed straight towards goal. I skeeted past the defenders and I'm one-on-one with Bobby as he's coming out. And just as he got to the uh, penalty spot, I just hit it early and it's gone straight under him and hit that back of the <laughs> net. And I ran to the uh, Marconi supporters and, and gave them what for. And uh, <laughs> once again, we walked away with a victory at Marconi. So that was a highlight NSL-wise. Yep. But uh, locally... Yep. I've got to score a few goals in uh, the Illawarra Premier League and, and one of my favourite goals, and he's going to kill me for this one, but one of my favourite <laughs> goals is at Memorial Park playing against my um, my good friend John Kranovic, who's, who's a goalkeeper. And uh, his team, West are, are ahead in the game. David Cooter's scored a goal and they've gone 1-0 up in the semi-final. And it was back in the day where they brought in the rule that if you took your shirt off, you're going to get sent off. Oh. So Dave in, Dave, in his excitement, has taken his shirt off and he's rolling around his head and the ref's gone, mate, I've got to send you off. You so, so they're down to 10 men. And then John's good mate at the time and mine, Steve Krishna, has bobbed up and, and got the equaliser and it's one all and it's fairly tense and Cradge is marshalling his defence and keeping them in order. And I received the ball on the halfway line out on the left-hand touch line yep. right in front of the... Um, sort of uh, grandstand of Memorial Park or yeah. where you run onto the pitch. And I've received the ball there and I've just gone on a 45-degree angle straight towards the goal and I'm, you know, full tilt running at the ball and Stuart Glass is the, the last defender for <laughs> West and for some reason Glassy's moved to the left to pick up the defender thinking I'm going to pass the ball to him and he's left a passage straight at goal and I've entered the box and John Cradge with his, with his lovely locks of hair and swishing around <laughs> and his gloves upright and I sort of faked to hit it left and Cradge has just made the fateful move to that side and I've just slipped the ball to the far post and it's curled in and gone just <laughs> under the bar and it's a great goal, it's hit the net. I've run, kept my shirt on by the way, <laughs> run to the crowd and we're 2-1 up and uh, the, the score stayed that and we, we went through to the, the grand final that year and John Kranovich happens to be one of my best mates and um, that was the... Very the, well known. The, the, yeah, the, the last goal I think he conceded in his uh, professional football <laughs> career so... I only bring it up every now and again, but um, yeah, John will be pleased to know that that was one of my favourite moments of uh, goal scoring. And and do you see um, sometimes looking at um, what you've done and then sort of that there's some, I guess, it sort of shadows, or not shadows, but it sort of copies a bit of what your dad did in terms of your coaching and that, you know, he had that sort of player-centric approach and and that's sort of part of your core philosophy as well? Yeah, I still see it now. I mean, he's, he's 75, 76, I think, the old man. And um, he still watches it and has that player-centred approach out. But I think as you get older, you get a bit grumpier too. So he's a bit <laughs> short with some of his comments. But uh, yeah, definitely his role in those early years, uh, that's morphed into me. And then I've sort of... As I said with the Wolves, you know, we put this system in play and then the next person makes it better. I think, you know, I've, I've value added to what my dad's given me and yeah. then, you know, hopefully I'll pass that on to some of the coaches that I'm, you know, trying to inspire at the moment. 
maybe they can you know tweak that even better and i'm working closely with um sort of the under 18s this year as well with darren jones and he's doing a fantastic job um getting these kids ready for the next mpl one season and you know we've given him the template we had last year and said look we found this didn't work, this didn't work, and then he's brought in some things that he has and he's value-added to it. So that 18s is always, you know, stepping up and making that process better. And it's not, as you said, it's not there going, I'm I'm the one that knows everything. It's not. I've said, mate, we've done this. How can we make it better? Yeah. Well, I think on on that note, uh, Richard, I'd like to say a sincere thanks. It's been absolutely fascinating and interesting and um, I think it was being probably last year or maybe 12 to 14 months that I tried to interview the first time. So it's it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for letting me into your home. Um, I sincerely appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Yeah, mate. Thanks for your time. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Episode 36 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast is now complete. This interview covered quite a bit of territory and Richard's journey continues to be beneficial for himself and for football in the Illawarra. I sincerely appreciate and respect the time given by Richard and his family. As always, thank you for listening and downloading this podcast. I'm your host Travis. Goodbye for now. (laughs) 